Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back once again to Game Time Sports, where it's always game time. We're coming to you live here on WXVU 89.1 The Roar, every Wednesday from 7 to 8.30, or wherever and whenever you get your podcasts. And for my co-host, Danny Curran, who's running a little late today, and John Reggio, my name is Nick Chicholis. Obviously, we will get to the Super Bowl, we will discuss the Super Bowl at length. Uh, Danny should be here in just a few moments, so we're going to hold off to talk about that until he gets here. But uh, the story that I want to start with, and we're also going to obviously get to Harden joining the Sixers and Ben Simmons, and I'm going to have to eat a little bit of humble pie hmm. um, based on what I said last week about uh, the Simmons not... Hmm? Oh, no, I'm good. Sorry. Uh, about the Sixers not moving Simmons during the year, but I want to start with Villanova's big, big win in an absolutely rabid environment in the Dunkin' Donuts Center at Providence last night. Number 10, Villanova, digging down number 8, Providence... Uh, and that was Colin Gillespie's in his five years here at Villanova. That was his signature game, scoring 33 points, including a game-ending three, essentially, putting the Cats up by five with 20 seconds to go. Um, he was started out a little slow in the first half, but just more picked up the slack in the second half with uh, just more ice cold, Jermaine Samuels in foul trouble. Colin Gillespie showed why he was a preseason first-team All-American. Yeah, Gillespie, this is his... His senior moment, pretty much, even though he's like a grad student super now. Senior, like, super, super senior moment. Super senior moment. I mean, coming off the last game where he had... It was last game where he had no points, right? So, uh, and right before that where he almost... I think like, he's, he... It wasn't no points. No, it was two it, games ago. It was St. John's. Yeah, it was pretty much no points. But It was zero, but coming, it was zero points. It wasn't yeah. pretty much. It was zero points but, against St. John's. But bouncing back from that incident and being able to come back and drop 33 on the number 8 Providence Friars is just huge. That is the leadership that you want out of your super senior. And Providence themselves, I didn't realize how uh, actually experienced of a team they are. Yep. Like they showed the uh, starting lineups, and it was four grad students and one like actual senior, and I thought that was just insane. And it actually really explains a lot why they're the number eight team right now, and probably going to stay within the top twelve yeah. if I had to say, just because they played us so close. Yeah. But again, that was just a great look for the team. Justin Moore from the very beginning, he could not miss. Uh, he, he's been very hit or miss throughout the season. We all know that. And this is like what he can be when he's at his peak, the first half right there. Just coming off of ball screens, getting the bigger, slower center put on him in Nate, in Nate Watson, who, like I said, was he always torches us. He kind of torched us again. He went for 20. But we, in the end, it was no matter. Yep. And uh, we were, through the whole game, that was something I noticed, honestly. There would be a pickup high with either Jermaine or Eric Dixon, and then it would either be Colin or, or Justin Moore coming off of that screen and just popping it from yeah. three, and they would hit yeah. it from they, that, that little yeah. the, the wing three. There's a lot yeah. of really good things in that game. There are a lot of things that I think are a little concerning. Um, turning the ball yeah. over, we've seen that plague Villanova uh, in the past. And uh, really, the first game in a long, many months um, that they struggled shooting free throws. Um, they missed two front ends of one-and-ones down the stretch. Yep. So that's essentially four missed free throws. And then I think they were 14 and 19, so not counting those two misses. That would be 14 of 21. And, um, yeah, but uh, some things that really impressed me, the Providence zone, like, just did not work. I don't understand. Like, they just could not run the zone correctly. The announcers on the game were harping in on it. Like, if you're going to help on the three-point shot, like, how in the world do you create driving lanes as wide as uh, Caleb Daniels and Brandon Slater enjoyed in the first half for some easy dunks? And then, like you said, uh, just more in the first half, Kong Gillespie in the second half just lights out from three. And uh, when you're making three-point shots um, against his own defense, that's how you beat it. And 
a game where Villanova really was only six deep, as you said to me before the show. Uh, yeah. Only the starters and Caleb Daniels scored. Only the starters and Caleb Daniels attempted a shot. Um, and yeah, I we've we've harped on the lack of depth throughout the season, but essentially for for almost the entire second half, it was Gillespie, Moore, Slater. Dixon and Daniels because Samuels got four fouls very quickly. By the way, the refing last night was absolutely abysmal. It was atrocious. It didn't. It didn't hurt either team more than the other. Yeah. In if, my any, if anything, it was pretty even. Both I think ways, it was but pretty it, even in terms yeah. of how bad it was. But like Jesus Christ, every little ticky tack foul possible, uh, incorrect calls constantly, calling charges, uh, blocking fouls, calling blocking fouls. Multiple charges. times where both refs were just so, making different calls. Yeah, and they three had to, times yeah. during the game, uh, two refs came up with two different calls and they had to confer. And I think they got it wrong all three times. <laughs> Uh, out of pos- refs out of position, contradicting refs in position with the correct call. Like it's it was just br- it was brutal last night. But um, I don't know if it really impacted the final score simply because it was just so bad both ways. And yeah, great game. That was one of the craziest environments I've seen post pandemic in any sport, and one of the craziest college basketball environments I've seen in a while. So very impressed uh, by the veteran Villanova team. Obviously, Hall of Fame coach, really experienced roster. Not going, not rattled, going in there and playing well. Um, and, yeah, Brandon Slater didn't miss a shot. Uh, had 13 points, 5 of 5, 101 from 3. Uh, so good to see him get back going offensively. And we're back in play. Uh, the Big East regular season is still in play. If Villanova wins out, I think they, they just win it, um, I believe. What's the what's the tiebreaker? I, I don't know. I would assume head-to-head. Yeah, and if we're 2-0 against them. Providence again. Yeah, I mean a Providence, yeah. a Providence loss would obviously help, but I, I don't know what the rest of the schedule is actually. But well, Providence is benefiting. From, the COVID outbreak is really going to help Providence because they're canceling three games. Oh, they're not even playing. Yes, yeah, at oh. Creighton, UConn, and at Seton Hall, which are three of the more like challenging games on their schedule outside of Villanova. So um, yeah, but if we beat them again, yeah. Well, it's going to come down to win percentage too. Would it be so, conference win percentage? Because both teams only have four games left. And it, let me think. Villanova has played one more game than Providence. Played one more game. Yeah. Uh, no, they played more, way more. No, games. yeah, we played. Sorry, played no, we played a few more. They played three more games. Yeah. So I'm thinking if we have. So if, if we went out, we would have to because we yeah. have more wins and the same number of losses, even if Providence wins out outside of the Villanova game. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. But. But looking back on the game, and you were talking about Brandon Slater, I said it last week, I'll say it again, him being more aggressive and using his size is, like, pivotal. Because that's what I really saw him using down the stretch right there. He wasn't just, like, sitting on the sitting in the corner waiting for a three. He was actually attacking the basket, drawing some contact, but being able to fight through it because he's just a huge guy. I mean, that's what we've been saying before the season started. Uh, so that is obviously huge to have. That's something, like, especially if we're committing to going six deep in big games like this, which... For better or for worse, is looking yes. like it's going to be how it's going to how it's going to go down the line. So uh, just having him being a threat and not just kind of standing out there like he has shown that he has been doing in the middle of the season is big. Eric Dixon, he had a very quiet night, but it, he still had eight and nine on a quiet yeah, night. Struggled, uh, struggled scoring, but a yeah. lot of re- lot of offensive rebounds. I think he had four or five offensive rebounds again. So just an absolute terror. Yeah. So his presence in the paint is something huge, and then the defense. That's the one thing in these six in these six man games. I think the defense is just tired by the end of it. Like Providence, 
we got the win, but we scored 89 points to get the win. If we don't score anything above 85, then we're just losing that game. Yeah, that was... Uh... Villanova really made shots. Providence also making shots, forcing turnovers, getting some easy points that way. Um, and you know, Villanova left a lot of points in the free throw line too. Like yeah, that's we were true. talking about earlier. So, just uh, both these teams usually play pretty slow, and this is the lowest scoring matchup of any two Big East opponents, like year over year. And did not see this coming. <laughs> did not yeah. see eighty nine, eighty four coming. But yeah, the uh, the total was one thirty two and a half. So we smashed so, it by like yeah, we 40, smashed it by forty points. 40 probably hit with ten minutes left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But in, uh, ser- in all serious, Villanova shot over fifty percent from the field and shot forty eight percent from three. Providence could not make a three for most of the game, shooting only twenty one percent. But uh, a lot of those were really. I was surprised. A lot of those were really difficult looks, just like fadeaway, like uh, from really really deep. NBA range threes, like I was surprised. And you know what? Honestly, what else surprised me is I can't believe that um, they have they have this kid coming off the bench for them. He, like, how does he not start? Um, oh, um, what's his name? I'm pulling it up right here. How? Uh, Bynum. 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 Jared yeah. Bynum. Yeah. He's averaging 28 per, over the two games before they played Villanova. He's shooting <laughs> He's like 70 percent from three. He's coming off the bench for them. He, I think, he was their second leading scorer in this game too. He had 18 points, seven of 13 from the field. Uh, three assists, two rebounds, two steals. So I like they mentioned that Providence has like six starters, kind of like the 2018 Villanova team. But like, you, how, how do you not find a spot for this kid in the starting lineup? Like Jesus Christ! Yeah, because I guess it would be because he's a guard, and they it looks like they're heavy at guard. They had that that dude uh, Minaya, I think, yeah. who. He he see he definitely looked like the worst guy out there yeah, on the a, floor. He was a forward though. But you can't really yeah, you can't really sub him out for a forward, so But Providence, I was surprised by actually how I wouldn't say they're deep, but every one of their starting five plus one is just very talented. And you don't get that with a lot of teams nowadays, especially. It's usually like you have three or four and then you know, it's kinda of a big a big drop off from there. But Providence yeah, they balanced, you know, yeah. they're kind they're pretty balanced. They yeah. They're pretty much worth that uh, number eight in my mind. I'm sorry. You have um, Al Durham. He's a transfer from Indiana. He's a senior. He's shooting 33% from the floor this year. Not from three, from the floor. And he starts over yeah. this Bynum kid. What? Well, you know, he's playing 35 minutes a game. Shoot, he's shooting 33%. He's playing more minutes per game than has a field goal percentage. Well, did you pick up on the thing that he's, he's their closer? Apparently. Oh my god. Oh, my so, god. oh can, I, can I, I? I don't know if I. I think I know what you're gonna say. But. They they were like this yeah. guy's this guy's Mariano Rivera warming up in the bullpen. Like first of all, Jesus Christ. Sure, sure if he's clutched down the down the line, fine. You can call him a closer. closer. Don't call him Mariano Rivera, Rivera when you're in New England. Yeah, especially that's, you're in Red Sox territory and you're calling your like, your closer Mariano Rivera. That's like that's disrespectful. Uh, that's like saying, oh yeah, Justin Morris, Tom Brady with the ball in his hands with two minutes to go. Like what? <laughs> yeah. There's one of one Mariano Rivera. And to, great point about it in being a Red Sox territory. Like, no, you are not Mariano Rivera. Yeah. I, I was I was watching that game when the announcer said it. I could not believe it. Yeah, I know. Well, they played uh, Enter Sandman over the yeah. over the. The loudspeakers in the stadium. I mean, if you want to beat Mo, so. like, I mean, get, like, literally. <laughs> well, don't shoot 30%. You can't. Yeah, you can't shoot 30. <laughs> you're shooting, the, like, yeah. 70%. See, here's the thing about Mario Rivera. While he was great closing out games, he was good in anything. He wasn't, like, you know, 33% field goals. I don't even know what the. There's no equivalent in baseball. No, for that, there is. But especially for pitching. But he was just, Jesus Christ, bro. 
Yeah. I mean, maybe they should just tell this guy there's five minutes left all the time. But, but uh, what uh, was I, I going to say about? I was going to say yeah, but yeah, yeah but the that environment was crazy. But you know, real questionable call by the DJ there down the stretch, turning to Taylor Swift. With oh yeah, they were, they were talking timeout. about it too. Yeah, they were like, oh, this is becoming a new Providence tradition. We're playing Taylor, Taylor Swift, we're playing Taylor four. Swift in like these really clutch moments. Yeah, Taylor Swift and then the beat. They played the, Let, yeah, they, be, like, yeah, Let It Be with like three minutes left in the game against like, like Jesus, a top ten like, matchup. Really questionable calls there. By <laughs> listen, the I love I love the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and I kind of like the Providence fan base now. Like, oh, yeah. I hate to say it because they're kind of rivals, but they were know, rabid. That was that was yeah, a great environment. It seems like a good team to like. Yeah, they seem like an easy team to like if we weren't Villanova fans. but uh. What else was I gonna say? Uh, yeah. So, uh, no. Oh, one, oh, one more thing. You said Tom Brady. That yeah. reminds me of uh, Brandon Slater. He was looking like Tom Brady again, throwing another one of those touchdown yeah, passes yes. from the inbound line. Yeah, that's that's like that's the equivalent of what the guy said. But like, yeah, I, that is such a weapon, honestly, for Villanova. It's, I mean, we were con- we were like iffy about it last game. Or well, like the, well, the other game, I wasn't it, iffy but, about it. I was upset because. Yeah. And my friends were like, you can't celebrate that. You hate that pass. I said, no, I hate that pass in the situation it was in. You're up six with 55 seconds to go. Inbound the ball in the backcourt. Maybe it was four or six. It was two possessions. Inbound the ball in the backcourt. Dribble for 25 seconds and then chuck up whatever the hell you want to chuck up. You just ran 30 seconds off the clock by the time they get the rebound and get up court. And you're still up two possessions. That was we're uh, up two with two minutes ago and they just ran a good play and he got wide open. Yeah, that's yeah. And, he was wide yeah. open. Like whatever, that was actually a really bad defensive breakdown in Providence. Yeah. Just the the whole game kind yeah, of. Yeah, there was like, a lot. Of, there were a lot. You're completely of right about breakdowns. that zone. Yeah. How do you how do we shoot like lights out from three in the first? Ed Cooley's a better coach than that. I think. Yeah, I, Ed Cooley, I, I have a lot of respect for him. But how are we how are we scoring forty six points in the first half of the game? They don't change up the defense. Yeah, really. I, do they just run zone? Because I was a little surprised not to see them switch to man. Especially with like like you said, how well they were shooting from three, and it was a situation where the zone like you had the guys on the wings over helping on some of the three sometimes, which was easy drives. I really think if they switch. I I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out and play man when they come to Villanova, which is gonna like be one of the quietest by comparison, just <laughs> yeah, so quiet because it's a break game. But um, yeah, it was just great game, great win for Villanova. Um, Villanova has now, other than uh, Marquette, has now beaten every team it's played in the calendar year. That was Providence's first loss in conference. Uh, no, second loss in conference, excuse me. First loss at home this season, and just third loss overall. This week, Villanova has Georgetown on Saturday for senior night, and then a big game at UConn on Tuesday against a really good UConn team. Uh, I know they kind of handled business against the, in, the, in the Wells Fargo Center, but I'm looking for Sonogo to have a big bounce-back game. Shout out in the first half against Eric Dixon, who had the game of his life and um, yep. was in foul trouble for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we're going to Connecticut. Now we're going to so UConn. Much more hostile yep. environment. Uh, obviously, all the Big East teams uh, have Villanova uh, circled on the calendar for when they come to town. Uh, we'd like to welcome Danny Curran, who is frantically scrambling into his seat. <laughs> Take your time. Trial. Take your time. Take your time, buddy. All right. Coming from an interrail game. How'd we do? Uh, we lost. Uh, Scranton got, uh, it was as advertised. He, full on, guarding me and Jonah the entire time. Like, full on as if it was a just guys game. Well, uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so any thoughts about uh, Nova Creighton? We covered most of it, but any unique perspective you'd like to add before I'm we get Nova to the Super Providence. Bowl? Nova Creighton. Uh, not Nova Creighton, sorry. Nova Providence. Yeah. Um, Colin Gillespie, man, he uh, pretty much single-handedly carried down the stretch. The one thing that really stood out to me is just how disappointed 
I have been with Justin Moore throughout the entire year, and it continued last night. In the first half, it, he was the best player on the floor. It looked like he couldn't miss. It looked like he was on his way to scoring 40 points. And then in the second half, he just pretty much disappeared. He, had, he only had one point, and it was on the free throw attempt, or free throw when he got fouled. He went one for three from the line on a three-pointer. He finished with 19 points, had 18 at half. And the thing that really frustrated me is he was doing his patented move where he backs the guy down and gets close to the rim, and he was getting good looks, and he just couldn't finish. And Nova really needed him down the stretch when it was a back-and-forth game when it seemed like both teams were scoring. You know, games played, you know, 80-80. And Justin Moore, he's, he's supposed to be, one. you know, if not your best player, he's your second-best player, and you should be able to go to him and, in crunch time on the road in, in, a, in a tough environment against a really good team, and he should be able to score. And he pretty much just disappeared. So that's honestly the main takeaway I have because as great as Colin was, that's not sustainable. He's not going to be able to do that every day, every game in March. You need a second guy. And as much as Eric Dixon's been great and Brandon Slater and all these other guys, it really, in order for Nova to, go, to reach their ceiling, which I believe is a national championship, Justin Moore has to play better. He can't go an entire half with, only, with, not, making an, with not making a field goal. So that was pretty bad on his part. I really hope that he, he at some point this year can show up because he's just been very underwhelming all year. But you got to give your you, you got to tip your cap to Colin Gillespie. He scored what 33 points at career high with a bunch of clutch threes down the stretch. Seemed like he couldn't miss. Really just single handedly propelled or uh, carried Villanova to a victory. It was his the gutsiest performance of his career. And he's probably not even 100 percent healthy. No, he's not practicing. Um, so yeah, really gutsy on his part. Um, I also really liked what Jermaine Samuels did in the first half. I've been kind of tough on him uh, throughout his throughout my four years at Villanova, saying that I think he needs to be more aggressive and that he has lottery pick potential, but he's it sometimes plays too scared and too soft. And I thought the first couple times he went to the rim, it was exactly that. He looks like a guy that could be playing in the NBA against guys that aren't playing in the NBA, and he's just getting bullied because he's too soft, too scared. But then as the first half progressed, you really started to see the man come out, and he started to dominate. And if they can get back to Jermaine Samuels in March, Nova can be very, very dangerous. So I'm looking forward to see. I know it's Jermaine Samuels' uh, fifth and final year at Villanova, so it's tough to really see, you know, tremendous growth down the stretch of your fifth year but if Jermaine Samuels can turn into a legitimate if Justin Moore doesn't want to be that guy then fine go sit in the corner they need the number two guy like I don't mean to be mean but that was pathetic by Justin Moore last night second half I don't want like when everyone's like did you see Gillespie and Justin Moore I say no I saw I saw a guy with NBA potential not make a field goal in the second half so it's not Gillespie and Justin Moore it was just Gillespie his first half is for losers show up when it matters and he did Gillespie did that's what I have to say. All right. First half is for losers. losers. Love that, Daniel. Uh, and yeah, incredible leadership by Colin last night. And if you want to improve your leadership skills, the Villanova Leadership Program provides six different workshops on leadership tips, tricks, theories, and networking. Get Villanova Leadership certified and become a better leader. For more info, go to villanova.edu slash VLP. Now, the story you've all been waiting for, Danny, we, of course, held it for you. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams taking down the Cincinnati Bengals, as we all predicted. Um... Did not cover, as none of us predicted, uh, yeah. in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Cooper Cup taking home Super Bowl MVP. An absolutely phenomenal game, back and forth. Um, the officiating was uh, not so great. Solid halftime show. Uh, great performances by a bunch of superstars. Um, I just, you guys, I just love to hear anything you guys have to say about the game. First off, I just want to go back and hear because I don't remember. 
I haven't looked at the Spotify of, uh, the recording of our podcast to see my prediction. I think there is a chance I predicted the exact score correctly because I think I had it either a three-point game or a four-point game. And it was 20, I think it was either 23, 20, 20. What was the final score? 23 to 20. 23 20. 20. 20. I haven't looked at it. I think there is a chance. Yeah, there's a chance. Here. I, John and I said both said Rams cover. I remember that. I, I, yeah, I, I said almost by I two said scores. low scoring, close game, and it was, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to go back and We'll check. have to go back and te- but, check the tape. Uh, yeah, but it was a great game. I mean, I feel like... All football fans should be relatively pleased with really the entire game because I mean, the game was great. If you're not really into football and you like the commercials in halftime, most people are saying that was one of the best halftime shows of all time. Commercials seem to be pretty good. So just an overall great event. All the L.A. superstars, were I mean, literally everyone was at the game except for Stephen A. Smith, which he's getting ripped apart because he uh, had to cover the Honestly, probably the best sporting event of the year, the uh, Celtics-Hawks NBA Sunday. He was there <laughs> instead of at the Super Bowl, so people are criticizing him for that. But uh, honestly, the one thing that I am taking out of this game, and I know it's you know a, a minor takeaway, but for me it stands out, is the Bengals in April made a decision to select Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell. And now a lot of people are saying that if they would have drafted Penny Sewell, Joe Burrow would have had that half second more, half second, half second more in the pocket to throw the ball downfield when Aaron Donald, you know, harassed them the last play of the game. Here's my take on that: there is not a chance, chance they get to the Super Bowl world without Jamar Chase. Without Jamar Chase, exactly. So that is the my exact thought. Take I have ever heard. But people on Instagram that don't watch football can go ahead and believe that. <laughs> That's just like idiotic. If you're like, oh my god, I told you you should. Have t-. Even though Penny Sewell had a really good year with the Lions, and I think he's going to be a great tackle for the next decade, there is not a chance. I don't think the Bengals are over. over I don't think they went six or seven games without Jamar Chase. I mean, he he's offensive rookie of the year. He was a stud. So I think um, it was a great game. Tough for the Bengals to go out like that. Yeah. They had it on you know second and one, and they couldn't get a yard. They're uh, uh, they're Zach Taylor, their coach is kind of getting torn apart by the media about not using Joe play Mixon. calling, yep. giving the ball to Samaji P. Ryan instead of Joe Mixon, yeah. but nothing you can really do about it now. The at the end of the day, what we said last week, most important matchup was Rams defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line in seven sacks. I think it was pretty clear that even though the Bengals offensive line held up pretty well for the first half, really when they needed them down the stretch, the yeah. uh, Rams line took over. Yeah, it was a strength out of weakness. It's one a lot of people saw coming. Um, I know using P. Ryan over Mixon got a lot of heat, but the decision I really do not understand is up four. You just had a 75-yard touchdown on a really clear OPI that doesn't get called. We'll get to that. You pick off Matt Stafford on the next play on a ball off Ben Skoranek's hands, and um, then you have fourth and one, and you cl- in clear field goal range, and you go for it. I re- and don't get it. I really don't get not kicking that field goal there. You go up, go up a touchdown. I know they were trying to go for the kill and end the game right there, but I just that that defense is so good that I think you take whatever points you can get whenever you can get them. And uh, honestly, outside of, they had two big plays. They had the big they had the deep ball to Jamar Chase on Jalen Ramsey, and they had the uncalled OPI to T Higgins. Other than that, they really had a tough time moving the ball especially through the air. Joe Mixon, as we talked about, had a good game. But I'm really surprised they didn't take the points there. And just, I agree, questionable play calling in the second half. But uh, something that I want to talk about, uh, obviously Cooper Cup is great, Stafford's great. Um, the officiating in this game, people are like talking about like Rams versus, like Bengals versus refs. The Bengals got gift-wrapped and handed a 75-yard touchdown. You don't get to complain about ticky-tacky P.I. calls on the goal line on third down. 
if you're you got gift wrapped a 75 yard touchdown. But additionally, I obviously you can't hold that play against Jalen Ramsey. He got his face mask was grabbed and he was thrown to the ground. But he he did not play very well. I was surprised with how poorly he played. You had Jamar Chase uh, just beat him on a go route for a big play in the first half. You, uh, he got routed on the final play of the game where Aaron Donald makes a sack. Uh, he got routed up a couple times in the fourth quarter. And I, I know that this is a guy, Danny, that you personally are very high on. But I I would really I, – I don't know if he's still the best corner in the NFL. I'd probably take Jared Alexander or somebody. I 100% agree. I think, I, I think Ramsey's really good, but I think he's a little overrated. I don't think he's the best corner in the NFL. I don't even think he's the second best corner in the NFL. But he – he did not have his best game, and, I mean, as Nick pointed to, if Aaron Donald doesn't get home to Joe Burrow, I mean, I think we're talking about a different story here because Jamar Chase had, you know, burned him. Jalen Ramsey was literally on the ground. Jamar Chase was open, wide open for a touchdown. Obviously, Aaron Donald made the play. But Jalen Ramsey just, not really just like this game, all, play, like Mike Evans made him his son in the, in the yeah. Buccaneers game. Like, Jalen Ramsey, for as much hype and as much as that guy talks, he did not show up in the postseason. No. And he, I still think he's a really good player. I think he's one of the best corners in the league. But there's no such thing as a lockdown corner in this pass-happy era of football. And with all these just ridiculous receivers who can just, the route running, catching, ability to just get open on every play. There's no, there's no such thing as a lockdown corner. But Jari Alexander is as close as it gets. In my opinion, he's the best corner in the league. I don't think Jalen Ramsey should be in that conversation anymore. I really think he, like everyone is ripping Eli Apple. If Aaron Donald doesn't save Jalen Ramsey there, there is a whole different, because Jalen Ramsey gave up like 140-something yards in, in the Super Bowl. It would have been over 200 if Jalen, if Donald didn't get home. So I think Ramsey just got exposed in the Super Bowl, got exposed in the playoffs. I still think he's one of the better corners in the league, but he is not the best. Mm. And I, I know Cooper Cup obviously had a great game, and, but, and he deserves all the credit in the world because after Odell Beckham gets hurt, the Rams are stuck on their third or fourth string tight end. You got, you got Ben Skoranek handing them interceptions. Uh, your second option is probably Daryl Henderson out of the backfield. And they have... In, the Bengals' entire defensive attention is on this guy, and they can't stop him. So he deserves all the credit in the world. With that said, Aaron Donald should have won Super Bowl MVP. The first half, he didn't do a lot in terms of production, simply because he was getting doubled and triple teamed on every play. Uh, in the second half, uh, he finally gets a sack. I, I'm using sack in air quotes because Burrow was like scrambling and like about to go out of bounds, and Donald like pushed him out of bounds like for a half yard loss, so that goes as a sack. <laughs> But then there was some there was some scrapping and some fighting on that play, and I think they kind of poked the bear because after that he was just absolutely unstoppable. They were throwing double teams at the guy, and it wasn't enough. Uh, just an absolute game wrecker, the definition of a game wrecker, and he wrecked that game in the fourth quarter. Um, and even on the plays where he's not the ones getting the sack, he's the one leading to the sack. I believe on the Leonard Floyd sack, Aaron Donald was triple teamed. Yeah. So he I. The impact that he brings goes so far beyond the stats. And even with that said, he had two sacks yeah, and two quarterback hurries, including on the game-winning play. Yeah, and that completely goes back to the narrative before the game of the Bengals' O-line. Just if they hold up, you win. If you don't, if they don't hold up, you have no chance. And honestly, the only reason that I think the Rams did have a chance and eventually, or the Bengals did have a chance in this game but still lost was Odell's injury in the beginning. Yep. Because, again, who down the line, who other than Cup does Stafford have to throw to? And Everything goes out to Cooper Cup here. He played great, like you said. But uh, 
there were just no other options really yeah. out there. They were you were you were on your third, fourth string tight end. But uh, it was another story. It was like seven sacks, I think, that the Rams seven, yep. had, and Von Miller had two. Also, he was like that as that uh, acquisition, the trade. It just looked better as the season yeah. went on, and it finally culminates in this. So I was honestly happy for the Rams to win here. I was kind of rooting for Stafford. I think that just everyone on the team kind of deserved it more. Like yeah. Stafford is one of the more disrespected guys in the league and mm-hmm. not recognized. Yeah. Uh, Cooper Cup had one of the best wide receiver seasons ever. De- Aaron Donald's arguably the best player in football. And really just watching the Super Bowl in a room full of Bengals bandwagon fans, nothing <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong for them, but if your whole like football rooting thing is based off of Joe Burrow smoking a cigar, cigar after, after he, winning the national championship, the national championship, like, bro. yeah. Like that's one way to root for a team, team. but it's not how I'm going to do Guys, it. Guys, Joe Burrow, when Joe Burrow shows up to the games, he's dressed really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. I was re- I was rooting for Danny as uh, I'm. Sh- Danny, I don't know who are you rooting for in that game because I, I know you're so bitter about how things ended in Detroit. I was I was pulling pretty hard for the Rams. I we yeah. I know. Um, but yeah, I was rooting for the Rams as well. I wanted Odell to get a ring. I wanted Aaron Donald to get a ring. The best defensive player of his generation, m- probably a top three defender all time. Not number one. Anyone who's saying number one needs to go back and watch three minutes of tape on Lawrence Taylor and see how wrong you are. Um, but Absolutely phenomenal player. Stafford suffering for so many years in futility in Detroit. He's getting a ring. And uh, I have nothing against the Bengals, but the people who are – and uh, take this with a grain of salt because everyone was down them all year and then they were proving everybody wrong all year. But yeah. everyone's saying that they're going to be back. I really don't think so. The yeah. AFC is way too crowded. The Chiefs are a better team. The Bills are a better team. The Ravens in their division are going to be a better team this year. They're the most injured team in the league. The Chargers are on the come up. You might have Aaron Rodgers moving into the conference. I, I don't think they're going to be back. That brings up a great point. I was watching um, – the Colin Coward show earlier this morning, and they had Nick Wright on, and he said that he thought the chances of the Bengals missing the playoffs next year are greater than them making it back to the AFC Championship, and I completely agree. Because when you think about it, the Steelers, whether or not you want to believe Big Ben was healthy or not, he's, you know, he was just bad, injured, everything. He shouldn't have been out there playing this year. So when you put a legitimate quarterback, maybe Jameis Winston, maybe Aaron Rodgers, someone that they take in the draft, I feel like the Steelers are a better team than the Bengals. The Ravens, as Nick pointed to, are the most banged-up team in all football. They get Lamar Jackson back. They get literally their entire defense back. So they should be a pretty good team again. Baker Mayfield wasn't healthy all year. You don't know what the, the Browns are going to be. They have a lot of talent. And that's just in their own division. Then you go out Kansas City, Buffalo, the Raiders, Chargers. It's I don't see... I feel like the Bengals are young and everyone's big on Joe Burrow and saying, oh, they'll be back. And as much as I want to believe that, it's not as easy. It's not like getting back to the Super Bowl is easy. Of the past 16 quarterbacks that lost their Super Bowl debut, not one of them has gotten back to the Super Bowl. So, you know, Joe Burrow is only in his second year and everyone's saying he's the next Tom Brady, but Cincinnati's got a lot of young pieces, but that AFC is loaded. And I would not say by any stretch it is a lock that the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl in the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah, and you even we even mentioned teams like the Colts who are quarterback oh, yeah, away. Indianapolis. Yeah. I mean And there all indications are seem that they're gonna be moving on from Carson Wentz, which is just you know And the ten, I mean the Titans. Titans the obviously seed, Titans for the one seed, yeah. And everyone's just so low on them now, but yeah. Yeah AFC is way too deep. Yeah you, you think of the Bengals playoff run and they got through it they got into it like, they got to the Super Bowl by beating the Raiders, who arguably shouldn't have even have been in the playoffs to begin with, the Titans, who had half a Derrick Henry, and then they got, like, one 
very good win over the Chiefs. They had a great win over the Chiefs. So there's a little luck involved. They're not going to be perennial contenders, but uh, I think you'll see them back in the playoffs, but they have a ton of issues that that team still needs to fix. The offensive offensive line is is horrible. Offensive line. You've got Eli Apple as a a cornerback one, cornerback two, so... I, I just like to say I have never seen the NFL, NFL like community, the NFL players, just all gang up on one guy, like <laughs> the entire NFL did. The Twitter uh, on Twitter, Twitter after Eli Apple, and like, yeah. like there are guys coming out of the woodwork, like the the, the Raven, Ravens wide receiver room is like ripping on the guy. I know he's divisional rival, but like that's <laughs> completely random. You have Hardman and Hill ripping on him, uh, which is very deserved because he got absolutely cooked during their win in the AFC Championship game by both of those guys and still went and talked a lot of stuff after the game. Uh, you had, you had I think, Brandon Marshall, who's been retired forever, former teammate on the Brandon Giants, Marshall. ripping on him. You have Michael Thomas, former Saints teammate. Just uh, It feels like the entire NFL hates this guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't really feel bad for him because he deserves it, and he's terrible. Um and he talked a lot after you know beating the Chiefs. So if you open up your mouth like that, you can't expect Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman to just be quiet when you lose. And I mean, Cooper Cup pretty much just torched him for four quarters. So I don't really feel bad for him. But uh, yeah, I agree. That was I've never seen any anything like an entire league just go after one player on social media. Like as you said, Brandon Marshall has been retired. For a couple of years, he was his teammate. Like, I don't, does he even know who Eli? Oh yeah, you know they were teammates briefly on the Giants. Yeah, yeah. But like, one thing, and I know college football season has is far away. But I'm just saying, he, Cooper Cup was a zero star recruit. He went to Eastern Washington. Eli Apple, five star recruit, number one corner in all of New Jersey, eleventh player in the entire country. Five star go, goes to Ohio State, and you saw what happened. Stars is. You know they do matter, but they're not everything. So that that this yep. is just one, you know, strong example of that. Yep, absolutely. Um, so there's two guy, two key cogs in the Rams, and by key I mean key key that are uh, planning on walking away. It seems there are rumors that they're going to walk away, and you do have Whitworth, the 40 year old, who's all but confirmed his retirement, the offensive lineman, and Eric Weddle, who has confirmed his retirement. But uh, an unbelievable story. They talked about it at length during all the Rams playoff games, but. And one of my friends complained about it during the game, but I'm like, I'm sorry. You take two years off football, they call you up off your couch for just the playoffs. You win the Super Bowl. You lead the team in tackles in the divisional round, and you go back to retirement. Talk about that all you want. That's unbelievable. He was out of the league for 730 days. Like, that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so, but he's confirmed his retirement. But back to my original point, there are rumors that, well, not rumors. Aaron Donald said that he would consider walking away, and there are rumors. And Sean McVay did not shut this down. He did not shut this down that he is going to leave the Rams and get, take a job as a TV analyst where he'd be paid significantly more. Is there Sean McVay? Sean McVay. They asked TV him a TV analyst. Yes. So this is as as you guys are unfamiliar with the story. Uh, apparently, some of the networks are offering to get, give him a pay bump of m- several million dollars to go do t- television. They asked him about coming back as the Rams coach next year, and he didn't say, there's no way I'm leaving. He said, we'll see. So I was surprised that he breathed that much life into the story, but it's a story. Is, do you guys think there's any chance that he could walk away after winning his first Super Bowl at just age 36? I don't think so. I, I mean... 
I saw something in a press conference. They asked him about like running it back, and him and Aaron Donald were both like, "Yeah, if we can bring this team back, why not? Let's let's run it back." So I think it's all day after the Super Bowl drama. You know, probably had a couple adult beverages the night before and don't really know what to say in the next day. I don't know. Yeah, he's probably annoyed at the reporters. Yeah, I, I don't really. I mean, he's one of the better coaches in the league. He's only 36 years old, and it's not like he's been coaching, you know. Forever. Forever. So I, I think he loves football too much. And they just, I mean, they literally just traded all of their draft picks, went all in on Stafford, and Stafford's not retiring anytime soon. So you got your quarterback. I just, I would be shocked if he, if he actually uh, left foot, left coaching and went to go be a broadcast. Yeah, I think, I think if anything, he could be like doing this as a bargaining chip. He could be that. But he's thirty six years old. I don't see why he, even if he does get like a little more pay from the TVs, TV stations. Uh, I can't really see him like just getting, just stopping being an NFL coach at thirty six, just because people, people are in their seventies and doing coaching in the NFL and he's like not he's just about half of that so I could maybe he could do it in a in 10 20 years like if he wants to stay with the NFL right now and he's just trying to get a higher salary because I mean Matt Rule right now I think he he's he's making what 8.8 million or something like that and uh this says that McVay's at 8.5 so he if my guess and this is just like taking it as a first time thing first time hearing it I think he might just be using it as bargaining chip for future contracts just let everyone know, like, I have this option, so pay me if you want. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think Von Miller's. I, I know Von Miller. Excuse me. I think Aaron Donald's doing something similar. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. think he's actually going to walk away. There's I think no he's way. 30 years old. He's the best defensive player in the NFL. He's a top two player in the NFL, arguably number one. You mean walk opinion. away from football? I, I don't know if he could walk away like that. Is that what you're saying, or walk away from the Rams? Like walk, no, like walk, retire. retire? Oh, from yeah. football. I mean, retire, I saw that retire. there's. He wants to be the highest paid, paid player. player in all football. And right now there's he probably players, which is very fair. <laughs> I mean, he paid more than he yeah. But there's going to be uh, even there's going to be significant turnover with the Rams either way. As we mentioned, Weddle and Whitworth are both prob- almost certainly gone. Uh, Von Miller is a free agent. Odell Beckham Jr. is a free agent with a torn ACL. And uh, that, by the way, that absolutely ripped my heart out. He was yeah, going to get sucks. he was going to get paid so much money. He, in his uh, however many games with the Rams, he had as many touchdowns as he did with the Browns. Um, absolutely incredible for, the, in during them, for them during the postseason. I don't think they win the Super Bowl without him. Um, criticize me for that if you want, but he just he played so he was so good in the first half of that Super Bowl, and uh, was so important for them in the NFC Championship game as well. Um, so going to be some turnover there, but you still have Stafford, as Danny mentioned. You're going to get Robert Woods back. You're going to have Van Jefferson. Obviously, you still have reigning Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup. But that defense especially could look quite different next year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Uh, and you lose your OC to be the head coach of the Vikings. Oh, yeah, true. That's another good point. I think... I know I haven't been very high on Odell, but you got to give the man his credit. He completely changed that entire offense the second half of the season when they... Once you know Stafford and Odell finally got their chemistry down, and I just think him going down, I, I don't mean to say it would have been a blowout, but I don't think that game's close in the fourth quarter if Odell doesn't get hurt because you already don't have Robert Woods, you already don't have you know your your top tight end. Now you lose Odell, so it's kind of Stafford was kind of just Cooper Cup and a bunch of scrubs. No offense to Ben Skoranek, Notre Dame scrubs. legend. Yeah, no, who I no offense. I was adamant, screaming at my television all fall last year, get him off the field in college. (laughs) Now he's getting the ball thrown to him in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. 
Like, that was mind-boggling to me how Ben, ben Skronik is getting it. He's, sure, if you want to have him as a special teams guy, fine. But do not put that guy on offense and definitely do not throw him the ball. Because if you do, you, you saw what happened. He looked like the most uncoordinated, unathletic receiver I've ever seen. I mean, Stafford put it right in his hands. He went up with one hand for whatever reason and gifted the Bengals an interception. So that was ridiculous. Ben Skronik should not be back on the Rams next year if he has only special teams. No offense. No arch and march. No Ben on offense. <laughs> yeah. And to your, to your Rams not winning the Super Bowl without Beckham, I completely agree with that. But I think it's also dependent on injury and Robert Woods being injured. Yeah. I think I think if Robert Woods is healthy, then the Rams are still winning it. Yeah. Not saying that Robert Woods is necessarily on Beckham's level. And we kind of saw Beckham, like, what is what he can peak at in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if you're still winning the Super Bowl with only Odell for one quarter and then, like, making do with only Cooper yeah. Cup, basically, then if you throw Robert Woods in there to distract uh, the defense, then uh, yeah. it certainly helps. It's a fair I think, point. I think you could definitely. That's a fair like, point. The Rams this season were a pretty complete team, like it or not. Uh, running game, once Cam Akers came back, it was pretty effective, even though that the Bengals actually like completely shut down the running yeah, game. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. There was, was a point in the yeah. game where I think they had 13 carries for 11 yards. Um, they completely shut down the rushing attack, and I, I was... I, that's when I thought the Bengals... That's when I was thinking to myself, the Bengals are going to win this game, when Beckham's hurt, and they can't run the ball. So, it's like... I, I, I sent a text to my friends from home. I said, Rams' current offensive game plan... Number one, hope Cooper Cup beats a double team. Number two, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> because they were just completely out of other viable options. So, I, again, to that end, I understand why they gave Cup Super Bowl MVP. And I, it's certainly deserved, but I think Donald deserved it just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The uh, As much credit as you got to give the Rams defensive front, I think you got to say the same about the, the Bengals because their front seven kind of just took over the game, especially yeah. in the second half. I mean, the Rams were entirely one-dimensional i want i'm curious to see what the rams longest run play was in the second half because i think cam Akers maybe had like a five or six yard Yard run in the fourth like literally like stafford's six yard scramble in the first half might be their longest run like i'm not kidding (laughs) they couldn't run the ball at all and i don't consider up until the postseason i didn't consider the Bengals to be a great front but maybe i was wrong because you know they really really played well in that kansas city game shut down Derrick Henry for the most part, and then in the Super Bowl, just making the Rams entirely one-dimensional, that was very, very impressive. So, yeah, I feel like you got to give the Bengals' uh, defensive line a, a lot of credit. Their longest run of the game was an eight-yard run by Cam Akers. First half? I believe so. I'm trying to find their longest run of the second half. But uh, while I do that, do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, I just want to say one thing. The Matthew Stafford no-look pass that everyone is just salivating over. <laughs> Watch him in Detroit. He does that every single game. That's why I, I say he's to, one of the most disrespected, unrecognized players. Forever, but no one will listen. This isn't anything new. Everyone's like, that's his best ever. Oh my, I mean, that was, just, that was, that was a layup. Nothing. I, it was in the Super Bowl, so it was the biggest throw of his life, but he does that on a weekly basis. And just like, listen to the players that play with him. If you want to get a good idea of how good Matthew Stafford is. Listen to what his teammates say about him in practice. It's 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 They're the ones that are competing against him on a daily basis. Don't listen to Colin Coward or Stephen A. Smith. They know nothing. So 
I just have to say that. That was not... He's been doing that his entire career, and I'm happy that people are finally giving him credit. But now, it's in, in typical fashion. No one can just be like, congratulations, Matthew Stafford. It has to come out Richard Sherman has to rip him apart, saying he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. First of all, he hasn't retired yet, Richard, so let's see how, let's see how many more postseason wins he can get in Los Angeles. And then let's evaluate his Hall of Fame uh, you know, potential once he's retired. So let's, uh, let's yeah. leave it be for now. On the play before the two-minute warning, uh, Cam Makers had that eight-yard rush. That was the longest rush of the second half. Oh, the second half? Okay. Yeah. Um, but they did not run the ball for more than 10 yards. Oh, true, to get, make it first and goal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but that, I just feel like it was a great game all around. I don't feel like many people can complain about I mean, it was close the entire way. Both teams played well. Um, big plays, the start. Every like all the stars made big plays. Uh, obviously, Donald Stafford, OBJ, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Burrow. They all like all the stars in that game made big plays. One thing that I, one play that I do not think anyone is talking about, which was a game changing. If this play goes the other way, I think the game goes the other way. Um, Boyd dropped a wide open slant on like third and six on the Bengals' second to last offensive drive. It was I think he, he would have caught the ball like the forty five. Uh, 50 yard line like he catches that ball that's move the chains Bengals have an opportunity to get more points on the board they score a touchdown there the game's over they kick a field goal then then the Rams you know score a touchdown and the game's tied so I feel like not many people are talking about that one play but that was his first I'm pretty sure that was his first drop of the season and it came at you know one of the biggest plays of the season so that was unfortunate for the Bengals but um, can't do anything about it now I guess trying to find Second to last. Oh, here we go. Second to last drive. It was third down, like third and seven. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Third and nine. Third but and yeah, nine. good call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was clear first down. Mm-hmm. Burrow put it right in his hands and he dropped it. Yeah. That was uh yeah, good Super Bowl. I was glad we got a good one after how bad the last year's was. So, uh, now we begin the the long yeah, it's long way. Two hundred days. Like, so yeah. bad. <laughs> uh, and yeah, normally I'm just looking forward to baseball, but. <laughs> Please reach to. an agreement. <laughs> I'm starting. I, Danny, I told you that uh, you asked me a while ago if I was worried about missing regular season games. I'm still not too concerned, and I told you spring training would probably be delayed, which it is. Was today or yesterday when pitchers? I and think catchers? pitchers and catchers are Monday for some teams, and it would have been every team by now because it's usually, it's this week. It's uh, usually the week after the Super Bowl, like the, like the week after the week after the Super Bowl, but like na- now because the NFL season's a year longer. I'm a week longer, excuse me. But, yeah, um, I will just to quickly, because I want to talk about the Harden trade, but just quickly on that, I will only start to worry if they don't have an agreement by March 1st. If they don't have an agreement by March 1st, opening day is in trouble. But uh, Can you see them, like, skipping? So while, we're, while we're on this for now, do you think they can skip spring training altogether and just start think, the regular season? I think, what they, I think they'd have, like, camp. Yeah. And I think they'd have, like, a few preseason, like, a couple of spring training games. But I th- I don't think they would sacrifice regular season games at the uh, for the benefit of spring training. Um, yeah, just just tough, just very just very uh, just reached agreement. But Michael K pointed this out, and I agree. Uh, the silver lining about this is the two weeks after the end the freeze ends are going to be the craziest two weeks of player movement in like baseball history because you have all these big name free agents that haven't signed anywhere yet and you have all these teams that are going to try and upgrade via trade 
Yeah, and uh, trying to squeeze and that in they before haven't, season They starts. haven't been able to do that at all uh, since December. And uh, I'm not naive. I'm sure there's been some under-the-table talks at the very least, and which is not supposed to happen, but come on, uh, between some of these between teams and players. So we'll see. should be fun. should be cool. Uh, but get the agreement done. If you delay opening day after you had to cancel the majority of your season due to a pandemic and then had to miss uh, a bunch of ticket revenue because of the pandemic a year after, I, I don't like you. How do you like Ron Manfred is the worst commissioner in sports. He's one of the worst leaders. He's one of the worst leaders in a business in the world, like one of the worst business leaders in the country. I don't understand. It's so painful. The choices he makes are so terrible. At the very at least, we're gonna have a universal DH. Uh, John, how do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. If you ask me, if you ask me a, a couple of years ago when the Mets pitchers were like actually hitting, like in that in the era where Noah Syndergaard would hit two home runs in a game, which yeah. happened before, uh, I would be I would be a little more hesitant. But now that, that the Mets have some depth and some bats, that they just kind of have to sit on the bench. Uh, I'm okay with it. I believe come to my uh, senses. I, I believe there's been something like uh, the last four thousand or so at bats by pitchers have been about two hundred two thousand strikeouts. So it's just, it's just not fun yeah. to watch. Well, I still do think there should be some differences between the NL and AL. AL? Yeah, just because I don't know how you would do it uh, if you would add something or just like make some quirks somewhere. But I still think it's kind of it's, it's very fun. unique. It's, yeah. There's nothing else like it in any sport where it's like you have that. So I agree that it's cool. Um, I don't but, know how much you can actually yeah. do with yeah. that regard, though, other than the DH yeah. thing. Yeah, draft lottery, like, I, it's not a huge issue for me, but I don't like it simply because it's like football. You have so many guys that you're, like, so many positions to fill because of the minor league system and so many guys to draft that I don't think it makes sense. Um, I yeah, know, and how baseball is one of the, like, yeah. hardest to predict Ricks, yeah. drafts. You have number one, like, you have top picks that flop, like, every year. Like it's not like other sports where it's like if an, if a, a top three pick is a bust, it's like talked about for years and years at end. It's just baseball is just kind of expected it's going to happen to some guys. But uh, yeah, we're so we're uh, we're a little past the top of the hour, actually. So it means we're a little past time for station ID. Villanova University's WXVU Villanova. Online at wxvu.villanova.edu. On air at 89.1 on your FM dial. Or stream us anytime, anywhere on the Radio FX app. This is Father Peter, and you're listening to V891 The Roar. We're back to discuss uh, the biggest move of the NBA trade deadline. Uh, actually, real quick before we get to that move, I just want to say I uh, mentioned on the show last week that I feel like there's always one star who's traded completely out of the blue in the NBA trade deadline, and that this year was Kristaps Porzingis sent out of Dallas. Uh, th- get on the plane, goodbye. Those get are out. the weirdest trades I've ever uh, seen. For David Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie, and now that return is not so great. Um, but I'm glad to be freed of that man's contract. I'm glad I'm never going to have to watch him pull up for a parking lot three again. You are seven feet tall. Get in the paint. Get in the low post. It, it, cool that you can shoot too, but that's a, a secondary, even tertiary aspect. Now, John, both of our teams have uh, now traded this guy. It's It's been just wow. Um, but uh, it's just, it's literally, it's now currently the Luka Doncic show where Let's see how many different things this guy can do to try and help his team win. Yeah. Uh, let's have 40, uh, 45, uh, 15, and 8 and lose. Uh, 51 against the Clippers to, to, to try and win in a game where I think the Mavs had 
I don't think the Mavs had 100 points in that game. But anyway, I digress. The biggest move, obviously, James Harden, the beard, headed to Philadelphia for Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons, and two first-round picks. Um, the Kyrie, KD, and Harden trio, I believe, only played 16 games together, which is one of the biggest what-ifs <laughs> ever crazy. Uh, in NBA history. I remember where I was when they made the when the Nets made the Harden trade, and I did not think it was a very good move. Daryl Morey has one of the most... One of the most historical infatuations between general manager and player in NBA history with James Harden. He's now made two blockbuster trades during his career to acquire the guy. That is absolutely his guy. Uh, he like the the spe- Wait, when he was the, executive what was the first of the year uh, when he was in Houston. He's now the Sixers GM. Yes. Okay. So uh, he, when he won executive of the year, he like. Like, he was, like, thanking everybody, I remember. But his thank you for Harden was, like, literally, it was, like, bordering on romantic. Like, he was, like, <laughs> I, I, I've never seen a GM, like, care about a player like this. But anyway. So, um, Danny, you have thoughts about James Harden. I'm going to let you share them. But I really like this move for both teams. Um, Harden, the fit wasn't so great in Brooklyn, as many people predicted. Simply, um, you've had KD had some injuries this year. You have Kyrie Irving acting outside of his mind this year. Um, Adam Silver, by the way, today is putting a little pressure on, uh, it seems, the city of New York to try and change that rule. He's saying, I didn't know this. If you're unvaccinated and you come to New York, you can play. It's just the home teams in New York. It's just basically they have made this law essentially for Kyrie Irving. Because I, everyone, I everyone else on the Knicks and the Nets is vaccinated. But if you're an unvaccinated road player going to MSG or the Barclays Center, you can play. Why? Why is that? I, it's it's very silly. Adam Silver said it was very silly. Yeah. Um, the the law was made by that. Bill De Blasio. Um, oh, shocker. We're we're not that kind of show, but yeah. it's just yeah. Uh, so new mayor, uh, Mayor Adams in New York City now. But, uh, so I think it's a good fit for Harden. You're gonna have. The pick and roll with Embiid and Harden is going to be absolutely awesome. This is now the best duo in the NBA. Going to be a lot of fun to watch um, once Harden gets back on the court. Those two guys, and then for the for the Nets, uh, you have two first round picks that you can flip in the off season if you want. They're not going to be very high first picks, but they're still first round picks. Uh, Seth Curry gives them uh, much needed uh, some much needed shooting. Andre Drummond toughness off the bench, but Ben Simmons obviously the biggest piece here. The former number one overall pick. Uh, stout defender, really needed that. Really needed that kind of guy. He has great. He can handle the ball. He has good court vision. Um, he can score on the interior, but as we can see, he can also disappear. And uh, especially with the Curry acquisition, it doesn't really matter that he can't shoot because they just have so many guys who can. When you have arguably, when you have one of the best scorers in NBA history on your team that can pull up from anywhere and make it from anywhere, or get some shot from anywhere. His shooting becomes much less of a problem. So, again, I'd like this fit for both teams. Gives Ben Simmons a chance to reset from an environment that he clearly was not comfortable in. I think this is a winner for both teams. I think this is a winner for just about everyone involved. But uh, I got I to gotta eat a little bit of crow. Last week I said that the Sixers were a great team and a chance to compete for a championship. And I couldn't believe that Daryl Morey didn't flip Ben Simmons for a package of Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, Kelly Olenek, and a first-round pick because this guy was clearly not going to play for them this year. So I just would have taken what I could get, and that seemed pretty good. But credit all the credit in the world, Daryl Morey, um, phenomenal patience, uh, had his guy in mind, and was finally able to make the deal for Simmons. And I know he sat out forever many months, but you have Harden for this year and for next year now. So just all the credit in the world to him. 
all your, all your guys' thoughts. Danny, I, I see you chomping at the bit there, but John, if you want to jump in, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll add a little bit. So I think that this is the the point in time in James Harden's career where he, ha- he has the absolute most to prove mm-hmm. because the Sixers are a legitimate championship contender here. You just got rid of two pretty good players in Andre Drummond and Seth Curry, and now you have to fill that role. I think we saw what the team is like without Harden in the lineup now with since they're now devoid of uh, Seth Curry kind of like holding down that uh, shooting guard position. They just lost by like 51 to the Celtics. So we need James, the Sixers need James Harden to come into this lineup and do what James Harden does, play well off of Embiid, and I think then they will be legitimate championship contenders. And just looking at it from a trade perspective, uh, before I hand it off to Danny here, uh, I think it is a great deal for both teams. So if you take from if you take it from the Sixers' perspective, I thought at first that they gave up a lot, but then I realized that Ben Simmons' value is literally zero, because it's just it's literally just trading nothing because it wouldn't play for you anyway. So I think Seth Curry and Andre Drummond for uh, James Harden is a steal, no matter what way you pretty much look at it, unless you think Seth Curry is going to turn into the next Steph Curry. But but AD for, can't win without Curry. Yeah, apparently. But for but for the Nets. Uh, you are getting value out of Simmons, so giving away Harden for Simmons, Seth Curry, and Drummond—that is a completely different trade, and that is a steal on the Nets' part. So, it's one. Of, it's, it seems like a rare instance for me where it's a steal for both teams. Yeah. So I'll hand it off to you, Danny, if you have anything to say yeah, about that. I think it's a good trade for for both teams because um, it didn't seem like Joe, or, uh, Ben Simmons was going to budge at all. So you're really not getting anything for one of your for your second best player. So him sitting on the bench can't help you so for this from the Sixers perspective <clears throat> getting a guy who can score in James Harden is a good thing um him and Embiid you know Embiid's one of the best if not the best big man in all of basketball and you know Harden's pretty good in the pick and roll so that duo uh, looks like it's going to be pretty good together I feel a butt coming <laughs> and then from the Nets perspective I've always been very high on Ben Simmons um just because he doesn't fill the house of highlights and Bleacher Report uh, post on Instagram with 40-point games and three-pointers like Steph Curry doesn't mean he's not a good basketball player. He's the best defensive basketball. He's the best defensive player in all in the on the planet on the planet of every human being on planet Earth. Ben Simmons can. I would take Ben Simmons guarding you one on one over anyone. I don't care your friend Carl, your friend Jimmy, your aunt, your net. I do. I want Ben Simmons. Okay, let's get that straight. So also he's phenomenal in transition. He's the best athlete on the floor pretty much at all times. Great passer. He can do it all but shoot, and I get it. Basketball, you got to put the ball in the hoop in order to win the game. So that's going to hurt you. But you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for that. And I do think the vaccination thing with Kyrie not being able to play in New York is going to be lifted by the playoffs. It has to be, or I just it just makes no sense. Because why can an unvaccinated player on the Grizzlies come and play at the Garden, but Kyrie can't? It makes no sense. So I feel like New York is going to figure that out. Now on to the butt part. James Harden is the biggest loser in all basketball. <laughs> Uh, the Sixers now have zero, a zero percent chance of winning the championship, so I feel bad. But Sixers, I'm honestly, I can't wait for it because I can't wait for the Sixers to either be in the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals and just crash and burn because Harden goes uh, eight for thirty-one. So speaking of the Rockets, cry. I'm Rockets writing down GM eight for thirty-one for uh, um, the Executive of the Year. I I can rewatch that Game Seven James Harden choke job against the Warriors over and over and over and over and over. Oh, his teammates didn't make... No, no, no. You're James Harden. You're supposed to be the MVP. You're supposed to be the beard. You're supposed to be the best player on the planet. So when you choke and you lose... 
That, that, that doesn't fall on P.J. Tucker. That doesn't fall on, oh, Chris Paul got hurt. I thought James Harden's the best player on the team. So James Harden can't win without a 40-year-old point guard. So <laughs> I, I think the Sixers now are probably going to win a lot of games because Harden, is, he's a good player, but I think he's a loser. All he does is lose, lose, lose. Now on to the part that I really want to say. The report came out yesterday that James Harden would roll his eyes uh, in the huddle when a play would be drawn for Kevin Durant that no shocker here James Harden wanted all iso ball me 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 one on one when Kevin Durant wanted more of a free flowing passing offense so they disagreed and Harden gets traded let me ask you this what winner cries and I would use a different word if it wasn't there cries and cries and cries and cries get me out of Houston get me out of Houston you go play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving you are the undisputed NBA title favorite. Note if, ands, or buts. You have the most talent on your roster in the NBA. And after one year, you cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. I want out. I want out. How long until he's mad and unbeaten? Cries and cries and cries. He wants to play for the Grizzlies. It makes me sick that people still love James Harden. He's the definition of a cancer, a loser, all about himself. I can't stand him. I hope the Sixers crash and burn. That's my rant. Okay. So, I have a feeling... I know your answer to this next question. Uh, but after these trades, which team do you, th- do you think is better? John, I'm going to let you go first. I'm going with the Nets. I think that the Nets get too much depth out of this. Out of this. And I'm trying to get this really this honestly as fast as I can just to hear what Danny has to yeah. say, just to keep this going. But, the, I mean, you're starting when Ben Simmons comes back, which you would think would be soon. at least pretty soon, if not like right after the All-Star game. But once he's back, you've got Irving, Simmons, Durant. You've got Seth Curry as a free as a as a uh, six man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Drummond is one of the Lamarcus Aldridge. Lamarcus Aldridge is good. Uh, uh, Drummond's honestly one of the most underrated centers in the league. I think he's just a rebound machine. Yeah, and that's like inv- invaluable in in uh, going down the stretch. And if the vaccine, we said this last show, but if the vaccine mandate is still in play, the the rule in New York, uh, and it could be that the Nets are tanking right now for like an eight seed, so they don't, like to, so don't seed, yeah. yeah, so they don't have to play Game Seven at home ever. So you can't play Kyrie Irving. So uh, I think the Nets are clear favorites right now. I uh, we're gonna have unanimous Nets here. I'll take the Nets as well. They had the best player out of these two teams before the trade. They still do. Kevin Durant. Um, they improved what they are good at three-point shooting, and they improved what they are very bad at, which is defending, uh, especially wing defenders. So. Uh, especially wing, def- wing defense, ja- Simmons is going to be great for them. I think if he can just get out of his own head and go out and play basketball, um, I uh, I think this trade does make the Sixers a lot better. Um, you have the best duo now in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, but I think the Nets were the better team. They're still the better team, but the Sixers have closed the gap. Was the question which team is better going forward, Sixers yeah. or Nets? Yeah, I would say the Nets. I, as you said, I think Ben Simmons fits like a glove. He can't shoot. That's his problem. Good. You got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to do that. Ben Simmons is one of the best passers in in the entire NBA. He's the best defensive player in the NBA. Great transition. If that team gets out in transition, you got Ben Simmons running point, and he's distributing the ball to arguably the best scorer of all time in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's going to be a nightmare for opposing defenses to stop. I think the Nets now become the clear favorite in not only the East, but I think they're the, they're the title favorite. I do really like the uh, the way the Suns play and obviously the Warriors, but I'm now very high on the Nets. I think that Simmons trade is going people, to – people's opinion on Ben Simmons is going to change really quick because he wasn't – I don't think he was in the right environment in Philadelphia. I now think he's in a much better spot. 
Panini's got to figure out whatever he's got going off the court or if that's even legit or not. But once he's on the floor playing basketball, I think the Nets are going to be, you know, a lot of fun to watch. Just as fun as the Warriors, just as fun as the Suns. So I would say the uh, the Nets won that trade or are better off going forward. But I do think the Sixers, Harden, Harden's playing style uh, is going to mesh with Embiid a lot better than Simmons will. So um, mm-hmm. I yeah. think I, I do think the Sixers definitely improved. And then, can I, you imagine if that Sixers team kept Jimmy Butler instead oh, of Tobias Harris? I mean, Tobias Harris is good. He I mean, he's like good, but yeah. I mean, he's, no, he's a good player, but still. Like, yeah. got that that Sixer team is a great what if team. Embiid, Simmons, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, and uh, I think Al Horford was their fifth starter. Oh uh, yeah, they had Big Al. Yeah. So yeah, I if Kawhi if Kawhi doesn't go ping Bing 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 Bing, who knows? Oh yeah, I forgot Butler was on that team. Yeah. Man, yeah. I mean, you guys know I'm very high on Jimmy Butler. He's one of my, if not my favorite player in the NBA. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a great point about a, a what if team. But the NBA, I think, just got more exciting because now I'm now I have active rooting in- interest against the Sixers and against James Harden, and you know the Greek Freak last year winning the title in Milwaukee. You obviously can't count the Bucks out there. I mean, yeah. they, they might even be the favorite right now. I assume the Nets are, but I, in the East, yeah. or yeah, I, I would assume also Milwaukee still got a really really yeah. Nice like team. no one's everyone's sleeping on the Bucks, but Giannis is still Giannis. And yeah, then just going for fifty last night. A team that I I like. Uh, that no one I feel like is talking about is the Heat. I mean, they got Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Vic Ola- I mean, they got good players. Yeah, Oladipo is slated to come back yeah. soon at some yeah. point. So, yeah. I mean, I know Tyler Hero, ever since that song came out about him, has kind of not been the same player. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's I a think good song, though. It is. I think I don't think enough people yeah. are talking about the Heat. So yeah. I think the, the Eastern Conference race, which yeah. a lot of people rip on the East saying that there's not any good teams. I think the Sixers, Bucks, uh, Heat, and Nets now, and the Bulls. Bulls yep. I mean, those are five really really good teams. teams yeah. So. Uh, the fa- uh, the favorites are the Nets plus two twenty, Sixers plus two fifty, Bucks plus three hundred. But yeah, I, I think those three are the clear upper echelon three, and then you have a secondary tier. Uh, actually, I don't know if you can count the Heat as a secondary tier there. But um, the Bulls, I have a great chance. The Celtics have really turned around lately. I, they deserve a lot of credit. They're playing a lot better. And then the Cavs, I, I, I don't think they're as good as their record. But listen, you play the schedule in front of you, and I, they're what? Like, they're, they're right there. Um, I, the top of the East is just packed right now. Like, all the teams have almost the same record. Yeah, the Cavs are 35-23, and 23, two games out of the one seed. Wow. But uh, I expect the Nets and the Sixers are going to do some climbing here very shortly. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, aren't the Nets slated to be in the playing game? Yeah, they're the eight seed right now, thirty twenty seven. They had that big losing streak before the trade. Yeah, when KD was hurt, and I just, I really don't think there's a chance that this vaccine stuff stays. I yeah, mean, there's no way Kyrie Irving. If there's a game seven Eastern Conference Finals, Bucks Nets, and Kyrie has to sit out because he didn't get vaccinated. I just, I don't think there's any chance. Yeah. I, I would be pretty upset, honestly, if that happens from yeah. from a neutral basketball perspective. Yeah. I just. I feel like they got to get that. Yeah, it'd be tough. Yeah. There's, like, I, like we keep saying, like, the, right now the Celtics are the sixth seed. They're three and a half games at first. Yeah, the East is really wide yeah. open. But Heat and Bulls tied uh, at the top. Bucks game and a half back. And Bulls are uh, slated to get Zach Levine back, I think, yep. this week or next. So. Yeah, East going to be a dogfight in the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, interesting. Are- it's interesting that the East is the inferior conference for 20 years. And then, you know, now that LeBron goes to the West, that. Yeah. <laughs> Now the West is not the West is the most top nah, heavy conference. The West is top heavy. I mean, they've got you've got 
three, arguably four teams. Somehow the Grizzlies are forty-one and eighteen. Yeah, which is just crazy. Ja, yeah. Is is Morant? Is, That's what is he injured? I don't. He know. got he, he got was. hurt. I don't know if he still is. Yeah. No, he came back. He oh, came. He came uh, back. Well, he was he injured. They did well without him. He came back. They did even better with him. Yeah. And I don't that, think he's gotten hurt in the past two weeks. Cause, yeah. Now let's look back a couple of years to the Zion Williamson slash oh, yeah. John Morant one and two. Yeah. I think we finally. I think it's coming to light who uh, who the n- real number one should have been there. Definitely. I mean, how the, he is one of the best athletes I've ever seen, and I I submit that he needs to learn how to land, or he's, it's gonna get ugly but how in the world and you talked danny you talked about how stars were everything this guy had no legit offers until the murray state racers coach sees him while he's getting a snack at, at like an aau <laughs> tournament how this, the, is that actually true yes that's how he got discovered the murray state coach was hungry he's scouting some other kid at the aau tournament he went by the snack bar he saw the kid playing and he's like hmm maybe this kid who can uh, jump seven feet in the air is a good athlete yeah i mean I think John, that's a that's a great question that you brought. I mean, now I I don't think it's a debate anymore. I think no. if you have to go back, you got to take Ja. But Zion, the thing is, Zion's a very good player. Yeah, he's, he's, not, on he's just not on the court. Like he's like yeah. I don't think people like people are kind of just. I feel I kind of feel bad for him because he's you know been out for so long. But like when he's playing, he's a all star caliber player. Yep. I mean, and he's only what 20, 20 years old. Yeah, he's younger than I, he's younger than me. He's twenty one. Yeah. So I mean, I, I just feel like you got to. You gotta give, give him a give chance. Him a break. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if he can ever get on the floor, I, I think I think the key is he. Someone at hit, he's got to lose some weight because at, at his size, as quick and athletic as he is, like when you're jumping up and blocking shots, slamming dunks like that, every time you land, like his knees aren't going to be able to hold up. Yeah. I know I'm not a doctor, but like I yeah. feel like the guy's just got. If he can lose some weight and get just a little slimmer, little, just cut down a little bit, I feel like he can get on the floor more, stay healthy because he didn't really have. You know, big injury problems at Duke. Other than when he ripped through, D- his, ripped shoe. through his shoe, that was crazy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I have a great since Christmas, since Christmas Day, the Grizzlies are twenty-two and four. They have four I losses since Christmas. I would assume as well. They have four losses at Milwaukee, at six Sixers in overtime, and then zero and two against Luca. Um, that's it. Uh, <laughs> twenty-two wins in there. I mean, yeah, Luca this went cool. I honestly can't name you more than three people on that team, too, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know if that says something about me or if that says something about uh, the Grizzlies. Grizzlies, uh, Ja, Desmond Bain, uh, Dylan Brooks. uh, Kyle Anderson. Yeah. Oh, Steven Adams is on that team? I thought he was on the Pelicans. There was some trade with like Valencia Yunus and Steven Adams. Like, I, I don't remember. Uh... But yeah, coming up on we're we're coming up on time here. I just have to say one yeah. thing. I owe Nicholas an apology. Um, last year when I went on my Luka Doncic rant, I have to admit when I'm wrong, he is a lot better than I thought. I thought he was a loser <laughs> and a bum, and I thought he was soft. I was incorrect in all in all on all three levels. Wow, that I, is crazy full circle right he now. He is he is a, he is a great player. But what I actually I'm not I'm gonna let Nicholas have his money. I'm not taking back the Chris Paul. I'm because I think the Chris Paul disrespect. Chris Paul is a is one of the best point guards of all time. So like in the NBA Finals, if I had to pick one right now, it's now a coin flip, honestly. And it was by far for me Chris Paul because I don't know. I just think Chris Paul is one of the best floor generals basketball's ever seen. True. But Luka Doncic is a special talent, and he's you know only been playing for in the NBA for what three years or two years? Uh, yeah, this is third year. Fourth, fourth year. year. I think it's fourth year. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, he's really good. And good for the Mavs for finally getting rid of Kristaps because I was never high on him. Where, who did they trade him to? Washington. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... But they didn't get anything. It's a lot of obscure. Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie. So not much. But at least <laughs> some, they got rid of the contract. Yeah, some three-point shooting. Uh, Danny, I, I, I'm going to take that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll be right back here next Wednesday uh, to... Uh, yeah, to keep the show going. That'll be our last show before spring break. Talk about the UConn game. Talk about the, the UConn before. game and then preview uh, our regular season finale against Providence. Uh, NBA, NHL races um, heating up, getting the all-star break, around the all-star breaks for both those leagues. And, yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about. Talk a lot. We didn't even get to really college basketball tied at Villanova. We had some crazy upsets this week. Uh, the tournament's starting to take shape. Just want to, real quick, Rutgers basketball uh, up, again, up home against another ranked team again Illinois. this time Illinois I think they're up like 17 oh my in the second half So and Rutgers beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin on Saturday yeah they're, but the they're, rack is dangerous the, the Rutgers home court advantage is actually one of the best I looked at the basketball. bracketology today their first four out uh, so. yep they're playing out of the bubble yeah. they're playing in the bubble this win would be huge this would be another huge, huge one for them uh it's not like Rutgers football where it's like kind of like a joke. Rutgers basketball is good. Yeah. They won a tournament game last year, and they have they essentially the same be, team. They co- easily could have beat Texas Tech in the second round, too. Right? Yep. Um, yeah, Rutgers is a good program. You got I, Their coach, I don't know his name, but he's done a, a phenomenal job there. So hopefully, I don't know, hopefully yeah. Rutgers can get their way into the big dance. All right, yeah, we'll talk a lot about that next week, and as well as Villanova, NBA, NHL. Uh, so stick, come back right here, 7 o'clock. WXVU 89 won the Roar. For Danny, for John, I'm Nick. Uh, Game Time Sports, where it's always game time. We'll see you right here next week.